0: This content is for institutional investors and information purposes only. It does not contain investment, financial, legal tax, or any other advice and should not be relied upon for this purpose. The materials are not tailored to your particular, personal and or financial position. If you require advice based on your specific circumstances, you should contact a professional advisor. Opinions expressed are those of the speakers as of the date of publication, and are subject to change without notice and do not necessarily reflect Mercer's opinions.
1: Hello and welcome to another podcast in our critical thinking critical issues series. I'm Colin Tipping and I lead Mercer's global insurance practice. Um, Today I'm joined by Erin Besevich from our US team and William Gibbons from the international team. Now, as we head towards the end of 2022 and into 2023, there's no doubt that insurers are still facing lots of issues. And that's not only in their core underwriting business, but also given what we see in markets, it's a time of challenge on the asset side of the balance sheet as well. Now, the timing of the podcast is opportunist. We're just about to launch our 2023 themes and opportunities paper, which this year is accompanied by a survey we recently conducted across our insurance client base. I have to say there's some really interesting themes emerging, some perhaps obvious and some less so. Erin and William, I'd like to get your views on how insurers are responding to some of those themes. So perhaps a few general comments first. Um, Erin, if if I'm an insurance chief investment officer in the U.S. today, what am I thinking about? What's on my agenda when I sit down at my desk on a Monday morning?
2: Good question, Colin. I think if you're a chief investment officer in the U.S. today, I think you have a lot of competing priorities, a lot of challenges to consider, and it can be sort of a challenge to even know where to start. I think, um, you know, following the COVID-19 pandemic, um, inflation that followed, as well as the exacerbation that followed the, uh, Russia invasion, invasion of Ukraine, we have seen, um, persistent inflation that has been a challenge to the global economy. Um, the U.S. is not immune to that. So what we have been Focused on um, as an economy and as um, insurers broadly within the U.S. is how to position portfolios to um, withstand the potential for higher inflation over the longer term, as well as um, incorporate diversification in essentially all its forms. I think there's a lot of uncertainty right now from a geopolitical standpoint, as well as from a growth standpoint, both within the U.S. and on a global front. And so um, many CIOs are taking steps to revisit all the elements of their investment pro- program in light of these challenges.
1: Thanks, Erin. So playing that back, it's recession, interest rates, energy crisis, geopolitical upheaval, and so on. And, and William, while we can think about the rest of the world, sometimes in slightly different terms, um, are the main themes similar, XUS.
0: Yes, I'd say I'd say definitely. So positioning for sort of higher inflation, whether you take that duration down or how you deal with that, you think about the PMC context, and then there's also specific issues. So in the UK, we've clearly had, uh, in fact, two changes of prime minister this year, uh, and volatility in the, in the government bond markets. There's also been volatility across Europe. So particular idiosyncratic spikes, which are very relevant to insurers invested in those countries. Uh, So your home market, often there's a bias towards government bonds in that market and you you do have that exposure. So definitely those sorts of themes. Uh, And and, and also a couple of other ones. So things like derivative liquidity, um, managing that liquidity, making sure that you're able to cope with interest rates up, if you've got a big interest rate a hedging book on, 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 on your balance sheet, and how do you deal with that? Um, it's definitely come into sharp focus, I think, by large. Insurers have, have weathered the storm quite well, um, but it has been something of a storm and really a standout compared to about the last 12 odd years where we've had relative stability at in interest rates.
1: That's an interesting point on the rates up scenario, and it's uh. Likely, I guess, that that's something that's going to be with us uh, for, for some time. Um, so I'm thinking when, when I and, and indeed a number of our colleagues across Marsh McLennan, when we speak to our insurance clients, uh, it's clear there's more focus now on the asset side of the balance sheet. It's more than just underwriting. There's also a thought that perhaps that brings a lot more complexity in how insurers' balance sheets are being invested. Um, how do you see that coming through when, when you're working with clients on a day-to-day basis? Perhaps William again, maybe a bit of a global picture, and then hand back it to Aaron.
0: Yeah, so I think I think from a from a from an overall sort of global perspective, there's 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 definitely starting to be concerns about how you invest, how you manage liquidity across your whole book. That's been one thing that's come out, and and so allocating to illiquids, which has been a popular trend, that does continue, and we see that continuing. Um, but either moderating or people being slightly careful about what they buy and thinking about the new world that we're in. Um, There's also, I guess, probably a sense of sort of balance around the investment opportunities. Clearly, spreads are wider now. Equally, you've got more risk in the market. uh, and, And at the same time, you've got other factors which maybe particularly impact outside the US. So things like moving exchange rates. So the strong dollar, for example, you do have a large number of insurers invested in the US market. And uh, as, as, as as they typically would hedge their exposure to the US dollar, those hedges have moved against them in a mark to market sense. And from an overall balance sheet perspective, that's fine. But again, just coming back to liquidity, that means that those hedges need to be collateralized or they need to be settled. And then that creates sort of liquidity
1: complications as well. Okay. And Aaron, what are you seeing in the US in that context?
2: Yeah, in the US, I'd say very similar themes. Um, yeah, I think a lot of of organizations are asking themselves, where do I spend my next marginal dollar? So on the one hand, we have high quality yields essentially returned to the markets after a very long time of essentially, you know, chasing yield in various senses and looking to go, you know into more liquid assets to try to get more of that illiquidity premium, which we still do think exists. Um, But I think it's not as straightforward now, just given that, you know, if if an insurer potentially wanted to take some risk off the table and get a fairly reasonable yield, they could do so at this point in time. So I think right now what's most important for insurers is really just making sure from an overall perspective, um, is the investment portfolio's risk posture in line with what the, the posture should be for the organization broadly? And if so, let's revisit everything that we have in our portfolio. Um, And that includes, you know, what is what is the most optimal uh, diversification at a higher level to protect against the the potential for higher inflation in the longer term? So do we have real assets where we need real assets? Do we have the appropriate amount of floating rate type investments that can help protect against inflation, that kind of thing? And then also within fixed income, um, essentially optimizing between both public and private um, where it makes most sense. So you know, I think right now a, a really good question would be to, to ask yourselves, you know, public and private yields are, are fairly similar. Um, does private credit still look attractive and make sense? And I think from our perspective, the answer is yes, because. Um, we do think, over the long term, the illiquidity premium still does exist, and there are some potential uh, benefits to private credit as well, uh, especially as we move toward a potential recession. So, a couple of things that private debt can offer are structural protections, portfolio diversification, so adding along, you know, in that theme of, of diversification in all of its forms, and then also stronger covenants with the ability to potentially work out you know, situations where otherwise would have led to defaults. So I think those are, you know, just a couple of the things that that insurers should be thinking about at this point in time.
1: So if I, again, a CIO sitting at an insurer, you know, we're seeing this uh, link to high quality yield. We're seeing uh, alternatives becoming a more uh, less alternative, perhaps, approach to uh, what insurers are trying to achieve. Um, and I think there's are themes that both came through uh, with respect to the uh, the paper we just uh, are launching, as well as the survey. So, again, one of the key issues that we, we, we found within the survey was that, the vast majority of insurers are seeking to increase their allocation to illiquids, to alternatives, particularly alternative credit and that, that kind of thing. Um, But that has some consequences as well, you know, particularly in terms of time and effort, you know, public versus private assets do require a different uh, degree of resource, a different degree of oversight, governance, and so on. Um, and that's typically stretching insurers, particularly those who see perhaps underwriting is still their their main job. And I guess one of my observations is that, you know, not everyone has a uh, a large in-house internal investment team, if you like. So so how are we seeing that stretching insurers? You know, it's got to be putting pressure around governance and resourcing. Are those things that we're seeing uh both US and internationally? Uh perhaps Erin, if I could ask you to comment on that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So um, our survey did provide some pretty interesting results. Um, I think one sort of stat to throw out there was about half of the respondents had less than five employees dedicated um, directly to investments or solely to investments. And um, sort of the challenges that those respondents highlighted as the this most significant challenge was, you know, resourcing um, as it relates to both ESG challenges uh, accounting and regulatory type of issues, and then also in um, accessing private allocations. So, um, I think that is definitely, you know, an area where insurers still find the most attractive. I think about also half of the insurance clients that responded to this survey intended to increase their private debt allocation over the next 12 months. And so, um, you know, I think resources are definitely a thing that that insurers should be thinking about because. While it can provide great benefits to the portfolio in and, and many different ways, it can also come with some added operational uh, requirements. And so um, we have had some prospects actually talking to us about this, and um, they were asking essentially if we have solutions to try to meet that requirement, um, those additional operational requirements and and we do. So I think there are ways that insurance clients are trying to get access to this more complex part of the market that is still attractive in a portfolio construction sense in a way that makes sense and can simplify their day to day roles.
1: Mm-hmm. So I think certainly the convergence of, of public and private markets it's, it's it's fueling this this growth in alternatives, I guess. And William, from a maybe a UK international perspective, um, how are you seeing insurers respond to that? Um, is there more outsourcing going on? Are they hiring teams to invest directly? What are you seeing happening?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. So I'd say at the larger end, there is desire to hire and there's arguably a talent shortage. So insurance companies are trying to trying to bulk out and do things themselves. Uh, and at the smaller end, you've kind of got the challenge of do you, do you outsource? Do you try to hire a couple of people? Uh, or do you think, okay, it's, it's gonna to be tough for us to invest in alternatives to supplement the private markets. And, and, and so that, that really is a challenge that we see insurers struggling with, especially at the, at the, at the smaller end. And it does potentially, if you think that private markets can offer a sort of a outperformance over, over the medium term, it does potentially result in a missed opportunity. There's a question of how you deal with that. The, the other thing which perhaps is particular to, to the UK and Europe has been the ESG challenge as well. Um, and that just sort of multiplies the issues with private markets because the classic question is, can you get the data that you need? Can you get the carbon emissions data that you need on the private market securities, just the same as you can get on the public markets? And that's, that's frankly been tricky. Um, so there's arguably increasing challenges in terms of getting your private markets allocation right. Equally, if you think about where the value is just at the moment, there's arguably awful lot of value as well in the market, partly because of the, the, the movements that we've seen this year. So the opportunity cost of not being ready and not being able to access the market is quite high too.
1: That link to sustainability is uh, timely. We've just had COP27. Um, So I'm thinking specifically about how insurers are responding to the the whole sustainability ESG challenge. and, And compared to some other industries, some quite unique challenges for insurers, I guess, in terms of what's their positioning in terms of their underwriting. Proposition versus how they're investing their asset pool to back those those liabilities. Um, Aaron, is it is it fair to say that that perhaps U.S. might be lagging the rest of the world from a sustainability ESG perspective, or is that an unfair statement?
2: No, I think that's fair to say. Um, yeah, I think a lot of U.S. insurers would say that you know we've we've we're early on in the journey here. Um, and really what what's been occurring over the last couple of years is a lot of conversations more at the organizational level of what ESG means for, for their organization and how they should express it um i think there's a lot of things to consider especially you know if you're a workers compensation type of client who insures all different types of businesses right um you know i think you as an a US insurer are trying to make sure that the way you approach ESG aligns with um, sort of the demand from your stakeholders as well as you know aligns with your business um, and so in fact from our survey a couple of things that came up three reasons why so actually this was a this was a interesting statistic so 71% of U.S. respondents noted that they incorporate ESG factors into their decision making and of the few that do not um, 64 plan to do so 64% plan to do so in the future and so The three reasons why they are planning to do so is, you know, one, stakeholder user preferences. So I think this is really growing within the US. And then um, the next two are essentially to respond to reputational um, considerations as well as regulatory or political expectations. And I I will say, um, so one of the things that's become more of a uh, regular thing for for insurance clients is um, the Uh, task force on climate related financial disclosures. So the TCFD, I have seen um, some surveys come through for my insurance clients. And I believe about 80% of the market now based on direct written premium is responding to this survey. So um, I I do think the US is early on in our journey, but I do think that the momentum
1: is there and it will continue to grow. And certainly there's no shortage of the, the speed or the pace of regulatory changes. Um, William, from the perspective of how the ratings agencies are thinking about uh, whether it's ESG sustainability or, or more broadly things like accounting changes and so on, um, what are clients saying to us about this?
0: So I think on the PNC front, uh, there's definitely been challenges around sort of losses on kind of events around the world, some driven by climate change. You've got concerns about rising rates uh, and you've got concerns about potentially the investment environment that we're moving into and and, and potentially losses on on portfolios. So there's definitely a sense of sort of vulnerability there. And there's a question for for many insurers of of how their investment strategy can actually help to support them through this time uh, and, and potentially get them back to sort of a healthy place and how the rating agencies see that. So getting it right from a rating agency perspective and convincing the rating agencies that you're on the right track is absolutely an important thing for insurance companies to be thinking about.
1: Thanks, for that, William. I think we could talk about these topics pretty much all day, but I'm afraid time is, is almost up for us. Um, perhaps, Erin, just uh, a, a closing few comments, if you like, to bring together the points that we, we've thought about here and perhaps how we positioned our thinking with respect to our our, our views into 2023. And then William, I might ask you to, uh, to also uh, make some comments similarly. Yeah, absolutely.
2: So again, I think I would, you know, just reemphasize the importance of linking the investment objectives to your overall organization's objectives. Um, I think just really making sure that your portfolio's uh, reason for existing is aligned um, in all the ways that it can be. And I think, again, with the speed that markets have been moving at, I think um, a focus on governance and a focus on flexibility to make sure that, Your portfolio is one, able to respond to opportunities and two able to, you know, protect against potential risks. I think that's a really sort of top down um, element that needs to exist before any other sort of um, considerations should be looked at. And then from there, I think, you know, if those if those elements exist, I think it would be wise to reassess your portfolio. To stress test it as it is, and then think through potential incremental changes that could help fortify the portfolio with the potential longer um, longer term higher inflation, as well as optimizing your fixed income allocations in light of the higher yields and elevated economic uncertainty that we're currently facing.
1: William.
0: Thanks, Colin. So uh, probably I'd sum up with sort of hanging there because it's going to get better. So, what do I mean by that? Uh, we've clearly had a challenging year from an investment perspective. You've had interest rates go up, you've had mark-to-market losses, potentially some downgrades, the effects of volatility that we talked about, the and, and 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 so on. But if you've if you've been able to manage that, if you've been able to control the liquidity and control your downside risk through 2022, which is as I say been a really challenging year, then what can you look forwards to? Uh, It's an environment of higher yields, probably for quite some time. It's an environment of higher credit spreads, hopefully for quite some time. So the opportunity to make money from from fixed income, which is predominantly what what we see insurers invest in, is greater now than it has been for a very long time. Uh, and, And for insurance companies that have been able to position reasonably well and have dealt with 2022, the next few years ought to offer opportunities, fingers crossed.
1: Well... Thanks very much indeed to both of you. Certainly give us a a lot of food for thought there. Um, I I would encourage any of our listeners to... Uh, to download or to access our 2023 paper and indeed the survey. I think it will give you uh, some very good insights into uh, how our insurance clients are thinking uh, across the globe. Um, Equally, if you'd like to discuss any of these topics with our insurance team, please do connect with us or if you'd like more information or access to any of our insurance-led research, then uh, please do get in touch. Uh, Many thanks for listening.
0: Thank you.